Hey everyone, Marilyn Hughes of the Out of Body Travel Foundation. We are going to talk about quite a few things today. Our uh, theme is going to be the highest mystical summits. And so in our live streams today, I'm going to be talking about the highest mystical summit as experienced by several uh, people in different uh, traditions of experience, which I think is fascinating. I'm starting out with St. John of the Cross, and we're going to talk about the spiritual canticle stanza three. But I wanted to uh, read something to you from Father Thomas Dubay, uh, deceased, one of my favorite teachers on the contemplative life. He did a lot of wonderful things uh, in his life. He had a series on contemplation that you can no longer get, which is a tragedy in my view. This is one of his books. This is a fantastic book. It's called Fire Within. And this is a book where he compares the spirituality of the two great Carmelites, St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. And um, it's an excellent book. But he talks a little bit here about St. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila for starters. But then he explains a little bit more about the writings of St. John of the Cross, which I think are very relevant. And before I continue, let me just... Uh, you know, uh, let y'all know, please subscribe to our channel. Subscribing to our channel helps us to become more and more searchable on YouTube and the internet. It's very important. And we so appreciate it when you subscribe to the channel. If you're able to consider becoming a member of the channel, you are helping us to make it possible for all of our resources to remain free to everyone in every corner of the world. We have several membership options. You can click the join button right in the upper right hand corner of our page on YouTube. And you can check out the five different options for membership and go ahead and join if that's something you would like to do. So we always appreciate that so much. And everyone, it's free to subscribe and subscription really helps the Out of Body Travel Foundation. So important. So thank you so much for those who subscribe and for those who have become our members. And I see several joining our chat right now. So let's do a shout out to them. We have Anna Yell. Hello, Anna Yell. Welcome, Adriana. Hello, dear Marilyn. Thank you. And hello, dear Adriana. I'm so glad you're here. John Lissacados, welcome. Glad to have you back. MT, hi, everyone. And hi to you as well, MT. Thank you all for joining. And so we're going to go into this um, discussion on St. John of the Cross, the spiritual canticle. Uh, stanza three. But here's what Father Thomas Dubay said that I thought was a good uh, intro to what we're going to review from St. John of the Cross. So he's talking about the transforming summit. This is from chapter 10. He says, when the theme is such a lofty one, human language can be stretched to its furthest expanse and yet rather poorly represent the wider reaching reality. Even so, in writing of sublime realities, despite endeavoring to portray them precisely as they are, 
one risks appearing to indulge in mere hyperbole. Because of the dulling effects of the mass media and the gross exaggerations we find in advertising and political oratory, our contemporaries are understandably suspicious of inflated language and extravagant claims. Our problem in this chapter is that the Teresian and San Juanist descriptions of the culminating apex of contemplative communion with the indwelling Trinity press even poetic song to its outer boundaries. Perhaps one should say its inner limits as well. The two Carmelites were not the first to wrestle with this problem and they will not be the last. St. Paul pushed his Greek to its furthest frontier when he attempted to explain to the Ephesians what a profound immersion in God is like. Referring to the love of Christ that surpasses all human knowing, the apostle longed for the recipients of his letter to be filled with the utter fullness of God. Hello, Andy. Welcome and thank you for joining our live stream. Thank you so much. This staggering statement is incapable of exaggeration. Let me give you the statement again so you see. This is from St. Paul. The apostle longed for the recipients of his letter to be, quote, filled with the utter fullness of God. And this is what he says is incapable of exaggeration. Yet he goes on to remark that God's working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Infinitely more. If anyone is tempted to think either the later mystics are overstating what occurs in the transforming union or that this summit is not for everyone, I would simply invite the doubter to stop, to reread Ephesians 3, 19 through 20, and then to think about it seriously for five uninterrupted moments. I like what Father Thomas Dubé is doing here because he is pointing out uh, something that I have definitely experienced as a mystic and obviously many others long before me and will continue after me, that there is no way to exaggerate the fullness of this divine mystical summit. There's no way to exaggerate it. The reality, on the other hand, in a world, as Father Thomas Dubé points out, in a world where exaggeration is you know, part and parcel of everyday life. The reality with mystical summits, the mystical union with God, is that there is no way to fully express it. There is none. And there is no way to exaggerate it when a soul experiences it. It cannot be exaggerated. It is that lofty, that grand, that far beyond our human conception of experience. So I love how he's addressing this in a world of exaggeration of a lot of trivial, unimportant things. We mustn't be tempted to think that the mystics are exaggerating the highest transforming, transforming summit of mystical union with God. Um, so here, I'll continue here just because he's just so good. 
He says, from the outset, it is well for us to recall that the whole of prayer development from the first to the last of St. Teresa's seven mansions is one continuous evolution from seed to blossom. The transforming union is in its basic essence, neither vision nor revelation. It is communion come to maturity, a communion that brings along with it the culmination of a slow growth in holiness that has been taking place all through the development of infused prayer. How important is that for us to know? It is a slow progression that comes through our prayer life. Hold on, lost my place. There it is. Okay. At this summit, the unforced divine invasion reaches its fullness. The knowing, loving, delighting fusion between God and man reaches its non-pantheistic consummation. Atomica, welcome and thank you. Thank you so much. We have a new Seraphim member and I am so grateful to you, Atomica. Um, when people become members, you are making it possible for us to uh, keep our resources free to everyone in every corner of the world. And as we all know, there are many corners of the world that are bedecked in poverty that we can't even imagine who would never be able to have access to things like this if it could not be free. So thank you, Atomica. Thank you. And of course, thank you to all of our members, many of whom are here with us right now. Very appreciated. It means so much, so much. And so going on here, this new creation is found not only in prayerful solitude, but also in the multiplicities of daily life. So important, such an important commentary. One of the things that I do have difficulty getting across to a lot of my spiritual counseling clients and um, is the fact that um, our daily life is an essential aspect and portion and part of our prayer life. Our, uh, our daily, our daily work is our daily prayer. And so that's what St. Teresa is referring to here. There is in both action and contemplation, a remarkable newness of goodness, strength, freedom, and delight. And here is where he talks about something with St. John of the Cross that I really wanted you to hear. Then we'll go into St. John of the Cross himself. St. John's descriptive organization of prayer growth differs from the sevenfold scheme of St. Teresa. While the two saints agree in all essentials except the confirmation in grace, they approach the issue of development from two diverse points of view. How important is this for us to know? John begins with our need for purification. What's the word I'm always using? Purification. For only the pure can commune deeply with the all pure one. The two basic liberations from faults and imperfections we have considered 
As we are freed progressively more and more from obstacles to the divine infusion, we are slowly transformed in a deepening union with the indwelling Father, Son, and Spirit. When this purification is completed in the second night of spirit, the transforming union is given. The summit is reached. That's Father Thomas Dubay's analysis there of the transforming summit um, and comparing it with the two Carmelites, St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila. That's what this book is about, Fire Within, Father Thomas Dubay, excellent book. Um, and he compares the spiritual teachings of the two great Carmelites, St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross. So now I'm going to pull out this great book, which is The Collected Works of St. John of the Cross. Um, and we are going to... The Spiritual Canticle, Stanza 3. And I wanted to read this because this is part of the transformative summit that we were just hearing about from Father Thomas Dubay. But this is St. John of the Cross's <coughs> analysis and experience of it. Now let me just take a little look over here. Atomica says, I am so grateful to you, Marilyn. Oh, thank you. That is extremely kind. Thank you very much. I'm so grateful um, if the work that we have put out there has helped you. That makes me very happy. So thank you so much. Adriana welcomes Atomica. Thank you for doing that, Adriana. Atomica, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so Atomica, it's great to have you, and I hope you stick with us on the live streams today. I uh, got a little carried away. We're going to have three live streams of teachings, and then we will have a question and answer live stream. So I hope you will stay with us. So that would be fantastic. So on stanza three of the spiritual canticle with St. John of the Cross, St. John of the Cross says, Seeking my love. I will head for the mountains and for water sides. I will not gather flowers nor fear wild beasts. I will go beyond strong men and frontiers. And it starts out with a short commentary by the editor, which says, the soul is aware that neither her sighs and prayers nor the help of good intermediaries about which she spoke in stanzas one and two are sufficient for her to find her beloved. Since the desire in which she seeks him is authentic and her love intense, she does not want to leave any possible means untried. The soul that truly loves God is not slothful in doing all she can to find the son of God, her beloved. Even after she has done everything, she is dissatisfied and thinks she has done nothing. And accordingly, she seeks him in this third stanza. She desires to look for him herself through works. And she describes the method to be employed in order to find him. She must practice the virtues and engage in the spiritual exercises of both the active and the contemplative life. As a result, she must tolerate no delights or comforts, and the powers and snares of her three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, must neither detain nor impede her. And this, of course, is St. John of the Cross explaining his own poetry. And he says, 
that she says, seeking my love. That is seeking my beloved. She points out here that for the attainment of God, it is not enough to pray with the heart and the tongue and receive favors from others, but that together with this, a soul must through its own efforts do everything possible. God usually esteems a work done by the individual himself more than many others done for him. And mindful of the words of the beloved, seek and you shall find from Luke 11, 9, the soul decides to go out searching for him in the way we mentioned, to seek him through works that she may not be left without finding him. Many desire that God cost them no more than words. What a powerful line. Many desire that God cost them no more than words. And even these, they say badly, they scarcely desire to do anything for him that might cost them something. Some would not even rise from a place of their liking if they were not to receive thereby some delight from God in their mouth and heart. They will not even take one step to mortify themselves and lose some of their satisfactions, comforts, and useless desires. Yet unless they go in search for God, they will not find him, no matter how much they cry for him. The bride of the canticle cried after him, but did not find him until she went out looking for him. She affirms, in my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him and did not find him. I will rise up and go about the city in the suburbs and the squares I will look for him whom my soul loves. And she says that she found him after undergoing some trials. He who seeks God and yet wants his own satisfaction and rest seeks him at night and thus will not find him. He who looks for him through the practice and works of the virtues and gets up from the bed of his own satisfaction and delight seeks him by day and thus will find him. What is not found at night appears during the day. The bridegroom himself points this out in the book of wisdom. Wisdom is bright and never fades and is easily seen by them that love her and found by them that seek her. She goes out before them that covet her that she might first show herself to them. He who awakes early in the morning to seek her shall not labor because he will find her seated at the door of his house. That's from Wisdom 6, 13 through 15. This passage indicates that when the soul has departed from the house of her own will and the bed of her own satisfaction, she will find outside divine wisdom, the son of God, her spouse. As a result, she says here, Seeking my love. I will head for the mountains and for watersides. The mountains which are high refer to the virtues. First, because of their height. Second, because of the difficulty and labor one undergoes in climbing them. She says she will exercise the contemplative life by means of these virtues. The watersides, which are low, 
apply to the mortifications, penances, and spiritual exercises by which she says she will practice the active and contemplative life together. To seek God in the right way and acquire the virtues, both are necessary. These words, then, are like saying, seeking my beloved, I will practice the high virtues and humble myself by lowly mortifications and humble exercises. She recites this line because the way to look for God is to do good works for him and mortify evil within oneself in the following manner. I hope you're starting to see the very symbolic way that St. John of the Cross writes this poetry, which it, it goes across all of his writing. He writes these stanzas. He does this in the Ascent of Mount Carmel, the Dark Night of the Soul, and here the Spiritual Canticle. He writes mystical poetry in mystical language, and then he himself explains what it means. It's beautiful work. What St. John of the Cross does is something you will not see by any other spiritual writer. So then we continue with, I will not gather flowers. What does this mean? Let's ask St. John, find out. Since seeking God demands a heart naked, strong, and free from all evils and goods which are not purely God, the soul speaks in this and the following verses of the freedom and fortitude one should possess in looking for him. She declares she will not gather the flowers she sees along the way. The flowers are all the gratifications, satisfactions, and delights which may be offered to her in this life and which will hinder her should she desire to gather and accept them. They are of three kinds, temporal, sensory, and spiritual. All three occupy the heart and hinder the spiritual nakedness required for the narrow way of Christ. Wow, that's really awesome and beautiful and intense because who among us would have gathered this from I will not gather flowers? We wouldn't have understood that this is what he's talking about. I didn't. I wouldn't. Um, if the soul pays attention to them or becomes attached, it is a hindrance to the spiritual union, is what St. John of the Cross is saying. Consequently, she says that in order to seek him, she will not gather these things. This line is equivalent to saying, I will not set my heart on the riches and goods the world offers. Neither will I tolerate the pleasures and delights of my flesh, nor will I pay heed to the satisfactions and consolations of my spirit in a way that may detain me from seeking my love in the mountains of virtues and trials. She makes this declaration in order to take the advice of the prophet David, who gives those, excuse me, to take the advice the prophet David gives those who journey along this path, which is from Psalm 61, 11. If riches abound, do not set your heart on them. These riches refer to both sensory and temporal goods and to spiritual consolations. <clears throat> Should be known that not only temporal goods and bodily delights are contrary to the path leading to God, but also spiritual consolations. 
if possessed or sought with attachment, are an obstacle to the way of the cross of Christ, the bridegroom. He who is to advance must not gather these flowers. More than this, he must also have the courage and fortitude to say, nor fear wild beasts. I will go beyond strong men and frontiers. In these verses, she records the soul's three enemies, the world, the devil, and the flesh. They are the causes of war and hardship along the road. The wild beasts refer to the world, the strong men to the devil, and the frontiers to the flesh. She calls the world wild beasts because in the imagination of the soul that begins to tread the path leading to God, the world is pictured as wild animals threatening and scaring her. The world frightens her in three ways. First, it makes her think she must live without its favor and lose her friends, reputation, importance, and even wealth. Second, through another beast, no less ferocious, it makes her wonder how she will ever endure the permanent lack of the contentments and delights of the world and all its comforts. And the third is still worse. It makes her think that tongues will rise up against her and mock her, that there will be many remarks and jeers and that she will be considered almost worthless. These fears are brought before some souls in such a way that not only does perseverance against these wild beasts become most difficult, but it even becomes difficult to determine to embark on this road. And I think all of us who have sought the spiritual path can relate very much to what he is speaking of here. Yet some generous souls will be faced with other wild beasts, more interior and spiritual hardships and temptations and many kinds of trials through which they must pass. God sends these to those he wants to raise to high perfection by trying them like gold in the fire. According to David, many are the tribulations of the just, <coughs> but out of these, the Lord will deliver them. That's from Psalm 33:20. Yet the truly loving soul, esteeming her beloved above all things, trusting in his love and friendship, does not find it hard to say, nor fear wild beasts, and I will go beyond strong men and frontiers. She calls devils the second enemy strong men because they strive mightily to entrap her on this road, and because, too, their temptations are stronger and their wiles more baffling than those of the world in the flesh. And finally, because the devils reinforce themselves with these two other enemies, the world in the flesh, in order to wage a rugged war. Um, and, you know, and she talks about their wiles are more baffling. I love that. And that's, of course, St. John talking, which is he, but in his spiritual canticle, it is a she that he is speaking of. But the wiles are more baffling because with the devil, we have the temptations and the uh, things that come to us meant to confuse us that are taken from our own unique blueprint, uh, you know, the things, the vices, the sins, the things that we are tempted by 
the devil comes after us with those unique things, known only to our own inner soul, perhaps to God, of course. Um, but that's how it becomes so baffling because it comes at us from those types of things. David, in alluding to them, calls them strong men. From Psalm 53, 5, it says, the strong men sought after my soul. This happens to each of us. The prophet Job also remarked concerning this strength that there is no power on earth comparable to that of the devil who was made to fear no one. That's from Job 41, 24. That is, no human strength is comparable to his. Only the divine power is sufficient to conquer him, and only the divine light can understand his wiles. And that divine light is what is infused to us, the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding that is infused within us as we seek prayerfully for the truth. A man who must overcome the devil's strength will be unable to do so without prayer, nor will he be able to understand his deceits, his own particular deceits, without mortification and humility. How true this is for all of us. St. Paul counsels the faithful. From Ephesians 6, 11 through 12, put on the armor of God that you may be able to resist the wiles of the devil, for this struggle is not against flesh and blood. By blood, he means the world, and by the armor of God, prayer and the cross of Christ, in which is found the humility and mortification we mentioned. The soul affirms also that she will pass by frontiers, which refer to the natural rebellions of the flesh against the spirit. As St. Paul says uh, from Galatians 5, 17, the flesh covets against the spirit and sets itself up as though on the frontier to oppose the spiritual journey. A person must pass these frontiers by breaking through these difficulties and throwing down with willful strength and determination all sensory appetites and natural affections. In the measure that these are present within the soul, the spirit is impeded by them and cannot go on to true life and spiritual delight. St. Paul indicated this clearly if by the spirit you mortify the inclinations and appetites of the flesh, you shall live, from Romans 8, 13. Such is the method of the soul. In this stanza claims she must follow in order to seek her beloved on this road. The method in sum consists of steadfastness and courage in not stooping to gather flowers, of bravery and not fearing the wild beasts, of strength in passing by strong men and frontiers, and of the sole intention to head for the mountains and the watersides of virtues, as we explained. So I hope this one has been helpful to you. Love St. John of the Cross. This is a collected works, but this was from the Spiritual Canticle. He also wrote The Ascent of Mount Carmel, The Dark Night of the Soul, both masterpieces. And so consider checking them out. And just a reminder to everyone, please subscribe to our channel. Makes us more searchable across the internet, on YouTube, etc. Very important for us. And also, uh, please consider becoming a member. And we welcome a new member 
just now with Atomica, who has become a seraphim. And we are very grateful to have Atomica. Thank you for joining. And um, you can click the join button on the upper right hand corner of the YouTube page and check out five different options for membership. And when you do this, it makes it possible for us to make and keep our resources free to everyone in every single corner of the world. And you have no idea how important that is because without having the ability to keep these things free, there are literally millions of souls that could not be reached because they could never afford to purchase anything. And so when you become a member at the channel, you are doing a great work with us in making it possible for us to keep things for free. It's so important. So thank you for joining. We will have another live stream in just a few minutes. We will be talking about Khalil Gibran and his mystical journey. So we'll see you there. Thank you.